He made the seasons. The sun knows its time for setting. You made the darkness and the light. When all the beasts of the forest creep about, the young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. And then man goes out to his work, to his labor, until evening. And these verses from Psalm 104 were reminded that the ever-turning diurnal or tides of daily life um, have been ordered by the Lord God so that it has a daily course from which it really never varies. Uh, The moon marks off its seasons. The sun knows uh, when to go down. And in this description we have uh, at the outset and uh, of the evening, the animals, the beasts that uh, that are prowling about in the darkness, the, the lion roaring for his food, which comes from God, followed by the rising of the sun, where we read that man rises up and goes to his work, to his labor, until evening. That's the phrase, that last verse, the 23rd verse, I want you to notice, because it's part of this order that God has built into creation, um, including the place of human labor. But what does the Bible tell us about work? What does it say about labor? That's what I want to address this morning. Um, Let's begin uh, by remembering that the original worker or the original labor, was actually God Himself. Right away, in the third verse of the Bible, we read how God was at work, creating all of the universe. Chapter 2, we read, On the seventh day, the Lord God finished His work that He had been doing, so that on the seventh day He rested from all His work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it He rested from all of the work of creating which he had done. Now, it must not have been very difficult for God to do it, but it is noted that he did work at it. It was part of his work. Um, um, And we're told that he looked back on it at the end of the week and, and saw that it was good. In fact, he saw it was very good. Were you able to look back at your work this week and say, that was good? Furthermore, when he had created mankind, he distinguished him from the rest of creation by giving him the special privilege of copying God or aping God and doing what God did, specifically with regard to work. In Genesis 1.28, as we read, God blessed him and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over a living creature that moves on the earth. This is sometimes called the cultural mandate. The cultural mandate. Um, Because it sets uh, the the business of our culture of of filling the earth and of of subduing it and ruling over the fish of the seas and so forth. Um, And Genesis 2.15 actually gives a little help in explaining those words. We're told the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. 
So God made mankind the ruler or the Lord over the earth. He was to populate it and subdue it, not to rape it, not to ruin it, but to carefully tend it and, and to rule over it with authority and to make it shine even more for his glory. He was to get his living from the ground. And it actually must have been a pretty easy, a good business back before the fall. Sub, subsistence might have been pretty easy in the garden. I guess the fruit just fell into Eve's hands and the asparagus came up in abundance without even being planted. Um, well, what was the purpose of it? Uh, what was the purpose of this work which God assigned to us? For God does nothing without purpose. We know that. Well, the purpose well, it was given to mankind for the purpose of glorifying God as the creator. They, uh, they were, by the labors of their hand, to make creation shine for Christ. They were to populate the earth uh, and, and, and fill it with worshipful sons and daughters. They were to follow the example of the Lord Himself and make beautiful and useful things and make beautiful music. Larry's here with us again, making beautiful music with Rich. Um, that's, that's part of it all, you see. We're to do that sort of thing. Uh, and, uh, and to take the raw material of the earth and, and, um, and, and, and to sustain the earth with it and, and, uh, and to bring forth with it uh, the, uh, the vision and the wisdom and the excellency of God, uh, the Creator. Uh, the labors of Adam and Eve gave purpose and gave dignity to their lives. Um, and it distinguished us from the rest of creation. Only to Adam and Eve was given um, the, the business of ruling over creation, of tending over the earth. And it was not a burden. That's where I want to go. It was an honor and it was a great blessing. They were glorifying and enjoying God in their work. But of course... That was all before the fall that changed everything, including the nature of work. Typically, now when we think of work, we think of labor, you know, and labor is not necessarily a good word. We, we think of sweat, we think of pain, because so much of our labor is hard work. It takes time and it's energy and things fall apart and break and rust and die and, and all of that's the the result of the curse. For the curse of God deliberately touched the earth as well as the people of the earth. So, to talk about labor requires us to understand what happened um, with the sin of our first parents when they, who deliberately defied God and, and, and turned against Him in their rebellion. Uh, so, when God comes down to to the garden, after the sin of Adam and Eve to sort everyone out, he starts with the serpent, with Satan himself, who had come down uh, into the garden with the most wicked and most devious of purposes, his great master plan against God to, to corrupt and to ruin the apple of God's eye, the crown of his creation, Adam and Eve, and to turn them away from God. So God cursed him. And there was nothing redemptive in that curse at all. There was no help, no salvation, no grace for Satan at all, ever. 
Uh, tune in Sunday evenings for more from the book of Revelation on that. His destruction was wrought by Christ who would crush and ruin him when the time was right. Then God turns to Eve in chapter 3, verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. And with pain you shall give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Uh, the curse of, <clears throat> of the woman focused uh, and related specifically to her world and typically to her great work in that world, which was to resolve uh, most often specifically around two things, her husband uh, and her children. Uh, but from now on, those things would, would not come easily. A childbirth would come with great pain, perhaps pointing also toward the labor of raising children as a whole, which would be a labor fraught with pain and difficulty and heartache and and her relationship to her husband also would become more difficult. Her desire would be for her husband, verse 16, an expression which I understand to refer to the sinful drive to manipulate and dominate him, to compete with him and ease, find easy fault with him and struggle with him and his assigned headship. Then God turns to, to Adam. Uh, the covenant head who bore the ultimate responsibility for his and, and Eve's sin against God. Where was Adam on all of this? He was right there with him, doing absolutely nothing. Well, uh, we're told um, that in Genesis 3:17 to 19, he said to Adam, uh, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree from which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you in pain, that is painful toil. You shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles uh, it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face will you eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. Now notice that the curse as it touches upon the man is related to his relationship to the ground, uh, to his labor, and to the land which was his main business uh, in, in life. Um, he, um, he would, it would no longer yield, the ground would no longer yield its fruit so easily, but would, would be difficult um, by the sweat of his face. Well, all of that's history, but... Uh, it's history, the consequences of which still affect us and our relationship to labor. For the fall did not release us from God's ordinance of labor, but it just changed it and made it more difficult. Adam and Eve's work at home and in the fields became much harder. There was something very deliberate in this, in God's part, as we'll see. Now, I want to, to uh, get to... Um, uh, I want to get to God's uh, grace and mercy in all of this. But before I do, I need to highlight one particular aspect of the fall as it affected labor. And, and that is because of our sin, we often slip away and, and start working for the wrong person. Uh, the New Testament, as uh, John Murray reminds us, former professor at Westminster Seminary, uh, lays particular stress on God's oriented motivation and 
the direction of all of our toil. We, God is always, Jesus is always concerned about our hearts, isn't he? And that's what he's saying. Paul writes, so whatever you eat or drink, do whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. But the problem, the cardinal sin of our voice is that we do it not for the glory of God at all, but we do it to please ourselves or to please other men. We're all man-pleasers. We love the praise of men and we fear uh, the wrath of men much more than we love the praise or the wrath of God. But the the Word says to us, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for man. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you're serving. Colossians 3, 24. Remember this. Labor for God, which is sanctioned by God, uh, is our chief means of glorifying and enjoying God and giving us good purpose for our lives. Uh, but unfortunately, our lives can turn quickly uh, to drudgery and, and resentful burden uh, when its ultimate purpose is subverted and, um, and, and becomes a means of pleasing men. Uh, when we, if we seek to please men, writes Professor Murray, then in the final analysis, it's expediency. It's what works that guides conduct. And when expediency becomes the rule of life, Obedience to God loses both its sanction and its sanctity. God's service is the first principle of labor, and it alone is the guardian of virtue and our economic structure. Which is all just a fancy way of saying that when we serve men instead of ourselves, that our labor becomes nothing more than idolatry and is wasted, and the meaning and purpose is drained away from our lives. So, We're talking this morning about labor and recognizing our sin. Labor becomes harder. But what did God do about this? And this is the most remarkable part of the whole story. There's really nothing remarkable at all about the fall. It's what we understand perfectly well. But God's response to this, response to the fall, is astounding. And so full of grace that it really escapes us. God did not walk away from his creation as well he might have. We had broken the deal. We had welched. We had walked away. We would put our finger in his eye. And, uh, but um, he didn't walk away. Instead, he devises a way to redeem it. In fact, the curse itself was part of the redemption. Uh, <clears throat> We all need to begin by recognizing that the curse was, first of all, a matter of justice and retribution. When God directed Adam and Eve to work in the garden, he said, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, um, um, but you must not uh, touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Yes, it was a test. It was likely a probationary period of time when Adam and Eve uh, had to prove or had opportunity to prove their love and their fidelity to God and attached to it were sanctions. If you throw me off, God says, you'll die. And the fall did bring death to mankind, didn't it? First of all, spiritual death, dry, thirsty lives, separation from God. 
And secondly, um, physical death, the separation of our souls from the body. So the curse was a matter of justice. The negative sanctions of the covenant of works brought to bear upon the covenant breakers, Adam and Eve, you and I. But we must never miss the fact that there is a redemptive thrust to the curse as well. For God hinted, even in, even in pronouncing the curse, that one day a Redeemer would come, um, uh, even the seed of the woman, uh, Jesus the Messiah, would come to destroy the seed of the serpent who was uh, and is the devil. And so he did. Uh, the curse uh, proves, uh, provided, in fact, uh, a great weakness. The curse provided uh, inability that was designed to force the sons and daughters of Adam, even you and I, to cast ourselves upon God in this exhaustion, in the exhaustion, in the frustration of our labor. Yes, our inability to struggle against the curse casts us upon the Lord. Which, after all, is the very thing that we need most. For it's undeniable that the essence of Adam and Eve's sin was what? It was a prideful spirit of independence from God. Uh, what do we need God for? <laughs> you know, who needs God? Uh, what does God have to do with reality in my life and troubles? Sinful men won't even acknowledge God and they feel very smug about it. As if they've got it all sort of figured out. Until, until in their utter despair, in the fear of death, they get weary and desperate enough to lift their eyes up to the heavens. The wife's frustration with her sour relationship with her husband and the struggle with her children. The husband's exhaustion and failure at work. All of this and all of this were brought to our knees before the Lord. In God's providence, in God's purposes, you see, the curse is a great instrument to drive many people to Christ in their frustration and need. And should we be surprised that Jesus' saving work on the cross not only redeemed our souls, but even redeemed our labor. The converted Christian, you see, is able to shake off that, that selfish slavery to men and to himself and to selflessly do what he does for the Lord Jesus. He gives us a renewed desire to glorify him through our labors, to do it first of all for him. And, and it, that makes it particularly pleasing to God. It's, it's, in fact, it's, that, it's a great distinction between your labor and the labor of an unbeliever. He or she may work hard and actually may accomplish many great things, but it's all for himself or for other men. It's not for God. The labors of the converted man or woman are done with an eye to pleasing the Lord. So, the requirement of work um, and the purpose of work is not changed since the fall. It's still given to us as a means of glorifying God. It's still a means of dignifying our existence. And it still distinguishes us from the rest of creation. We make things. We fix things. We create things. We do things. And we do them for the Lord Jesus. Work is not 
to be regarded as an evil necessity. Uh, the purpose of work is not by any means exhausted simply by the pure necessity of, of survival. Hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work I go. That's not the sole purpose of it, is it, for us? Um, or to say it another way, even if you don't have to work because you're retired or because you have such independent means as to make it unnecessary to work, you still are commanded to work by God. And you're the loser if you don't work in some manner or another. For again, by work, uh, we glorify God. Each person's work is a divine vocation. And we should certainly regard it that way. Now, what does the Bible tell us in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? For by grace you've been saved through faith, uh, and that's not of yourselves, the gift of God, not as a result of works that anyone should boast. For we are, verse 10, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, so you hear that. In God's Word, we're told that God prepared uh, things for us as a means of glorifying Him. And, and those good works certainly include our day-to-day labors. We mustn't suppose that, um, that these good works which we, we read about are only certain religious things. We're doing good works when we tell people about Jesus or, or we give money to the church or we, we become a missionary even. Well, that's a good work. But, and, and those are good works, of course, but, but, uh, and, and God has put it in the hearts of people to do such things. But so is the daily job. Um, that's a fact. And in fact, it's usually the greatest opportunity that God gives us to glorify Him. It's very pleasing to God when we just do what He's put before us. Unless it's something really evil. I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're working to rob a bank, you can't feel like that's a good work or God is pleased by that or that's a really good labor. Shouldn't feel particularly good about that the next morning. But, but if, if you're doing something else that's really in some way constructive and glorifies God in doing it, well, that's good. That's pleasing. And whether it's the work of raising children or, or working at the shop or the, or, or the office, the daily labors are, are not simply to be regarded as a means to an end. You know, getting, getting the kids, getting the grandkids through high school, or maybe through college and out of the house, getting through the day and, and, and collecting the fruit of your labor in the form of a weekly paycheck so you can provide a safe, comfortable, Christ-centered home. These are opportunities that God gives us to, to glorify Him. These are our good works. Some of you here are doing wonderful things uh, to, to help others and supporting other people that are doing those good things. These are, these are the opportunities that God gives us to glorify Him. These are our good works. And it's worthy thinking about that for a little bit. Um, these are the best platforms or opportunities that the Lord gives us to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. Years ago, uh, the Standard Oil Company, I understand, this has been quite a few years ago, was, were making uh, some sort of preparations to establish themselves in Indonesia. And um, 
company executives were seeking a, a manager for their Indonesian operations. And they were informed that the best qualified man for the place uh, was a certain missionary. He was a very competent uh, organizer, he was efficient, and he had a great relationship with the people. So the company approached the missionary uh, in reference to the availability of the position. And their offer was large for that day and age. It was $30,000 a year, so that was a lot of money then. And, um, but, but he regarded uh, that particular job to be soulless and not up to his Christian standards, so he declined it. Those who were seeking his services uh, raised the offer, but still he declined. Finally, they said, well, just name the salary. We'll, we'll pay it if the salary that we named you isn't good enough. And he said, oh, the salary's, the salary's big enough, but the job isn't big enough. Psalm 104 says, the lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises and they steal away and they return to their dens and lie down. Then man goes out to work and his labors until evening. And the fourth commandment says, you shall, uh, six days you shall labor and do all your work. And we make a grave mistake to regard it as a burden and not a privilege. It's an opportunity to love and serve God selflessly. The, God, the job that God has put before you, if you can do it as unto the Lord, certainly is big enough and important enough, whatever it might be. It's what God has given us as a means of glorifying and enjoying Him. It's what makes us human, the crown of God's creation. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your wisdom in creating us for a purpose. And that purpose is to glorify and enjoy you. Lord, we know that we uh, accomplish that purpose often in very small, simple ways. Just obedience to your word, following you, doing what you've set before us, raising our families, encouraging grandchildren, helping in the home, helping neighbors, um, confessing you boldly before men and women. Lord, give us encouragement in our labors. Help us to understand them as a good thing and as something uh, as unto you. Lord, help us to do them as unto you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.